Promises, promises, promises. Easy to make, hard to keep. It seems everyone knows the phrase, contracts are made to be broken. Sad but true, isn't it? Sad but true. We also know the little phrase, be sure you read the fine print. Why do you need to read the fine print? If everything is honestly stated and described, why would you have to read the fine print? Promises, promises, promises. Easily made, hard to keep. I would suspect that for each of us, we have lived lives littered with broken promises. Promises that people made to us, perhaps in all good intention, but never fulfilled. Some of them outright deceits, never intended to be fulfilled. And then if we examine ourselves, sadly we can look back at promises that we made that we didn't keep. Perhaps we intended to keep them, but circumstances changed that prevented us from fulfilling them. Our abilities, our capabilities to fulfill them changed and we just plain couldn't do it anymore. Promises, promises, promises. Easily made, hard to keep, except. Except God has never made a promise he didn't keep. Every promise he has made, he has either kept it or it is a promise for the future in which he will fulfill it. We see that clearly described and presented for us in the life of Abram, later changed to Abraham. We read a few moments ago the passage from Genesis chapter 12 that described for us the call of Abram. Abram initially lived in Ur of the Chaldees. We looked at that a number of studies ago. Ur located in Babylon, present day Iraq. Idol worshiper. Had no interest in God. Grew up in the time of the Tower of Babel. Building the tower unto God will make a name for themselves. God revealed himself to Abram and said, I want you to follow me. Chose Abram out of all of the godlessness of his society and out of his own godless condition. Called him, follow me. I want you to go to a land that I will show you. Picked it up in chapter 12. He had gone part of the way. He had gone to the city of Haran, which was north and west of Ur of the Chaldees, but not Canaan. And God reissued his call to him and said, Abram, follow me. Leave your family. Leave your household. Follow me. Abram left it all. Took up his kindred. Left Haran 
and followed God into the promised land. God gave him promises. He made a covenant with him. He made a covenant that described how God would bless him. He chose Abram and said, I will make of you a great nation. You will bless the nations of all the earth. And out of your seed will come those who will bless all the nations of the earth. Rather strange promises, wouldn't you think? We come to Genesis chapter 22. We will examine that this morning to see God's further dealings with Abram. How Abram followed God and obeyed him and trusted him. God issued a number of challenges to Abram. Challenges to his faith. Challenges to his obedience. He had promised him an heir. At 75 he left Haran, no children. His wife could not bear children. And a couple of different times he reminded God of the fact that they had no child. Time passed. And it had gotten to the age where he had attained 100, his wife had attained 99, still no heir. Boy, what a challenge of faith. Finally, God gave them a son. The promised son, Isaac. Whose name means laughter. How Abraham and Sarah must have rejoiced at the son. Not just having a son and a child, but the fulfillment of God's promise to them. An heir, the son of promise. One day God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to take that son, Isaac, and I want you to go to a mountain that I will show you, and I want you to sacrifice him there to me. Abraham had faced many challenges to his faith prior to this, but none like this. But the scriptures tell us that Abraham so believed God that he immediately got up the next day. He didn't think about it. He didn't plan. The next day he got up, he took Isaac, he took a couple of servants, he took wood for the altar, and he took his journey until the mount that God showed him, and they climbed upon the mountain, and he was ready to plunge the knife into his son to sacrifice him. Scriptures tell us in Hebrews chapter 11, that Abraham believed God to such an extent that he believed that God would raise him from the dead. And in Abraham's mind, he in fact had killed his son because he believed it before God spared his son. We pick it up on the mountain after God had provided a ram to take the place of Isaac on the altar that Abraham had prepared for Isaac and on which Isaac lay strapped when God intervened and said, No, stop, Abraham, stop. There's a ram over here. Place the ram on the altar 
remove Isaac. We come to Genesis chapter 22, verse number 15. And the angel of Jehovah called unto Abraham a second time. The first time he called out, there's a ram over there. He called out now a second time on the mountain. And he said, By myself have I sworn, saith Jehovah, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, in blessing I will bless you, in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gates of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Not only had God proven himself faithful to Abraham in the various tests that God brought into his life in this greatest test on the sacrifice of his son. Now, when God saw the faithfulness of Abraham, he said to him, I will make an oath with you. The covenant that he had made back in Genesis chapter 12 now becomes an oath. God said, I swear by myself, by my own name, by my own nature, I swear, I promise you, I give an oath, this will happen. And in essence, he reviewed the covenant that he had made with Abraham. Now he had reviewed this covenant with Abraham several times previous to this occasion but here he made it an oath and he said there will be land there will be progeny like the stars of the heavens like the sand on the seashore that's progeny not only that there will come a seed through whom all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. God promised to Abraham that he would restore his initial plan of redemption for sinners like you and like me through Abraham. Now we've had a number of prior studies in which we have examined creation and then Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and what great pleasure they enjoyed fellowshipping with God in the Garden of Eden without sin and the intimacy and harmony of that fellowship that they enjoyed and we've looked at the responsibilities and the requirements that God made of Adam and Eve described for us in Genesis chapter 1 and in chapter 2 and one of the promises one of the responsibilities that God had given to Adam and Eve was to replenish the earth 
I want you to go out and subdue the earth, control it, manage it, rule it in my name, and replenish the earth, fill it with people who will worship me, who will honor me, who will know me, who will experience my presence. Adam and Eve failed. They chose to yield to the temptation of a creature rather than trust the Creator. And God made a promise to Adam and Eve in the garden when He said, The seed of the woman will crush the serpent. The very first, the very first of the promises, the very first of the hints that God gave to sinful men that He would fix it. He would restore things back. The Garden of Eden would live again. Then we saw Enoch and we saw Noah till we come to Abraham. And God promises to Abraham You are the vehicle. You are the means through which I will fulfill my plan of restoration. And the life of Abraham provides for us in Scripture the pivot of Scripture. Everything in Scripture after Genesis chapter 12 has to do with God fulfilling His promise in the garden that he said he would fulfill through Abraham. And you'll notice in the scripture that we read here in Genesis 22, he said that Abraham would have seed. Now in verse number 17, where it talks about seed, he says, I will bless you, I will multiply you. The word seed in that verse is plural. Kind of like our English word sheep. Sheep is both plural and singular. It can describe a whole flock of sheep. It can describe one sheep. Same way with the word seed. In verse number 17, in the original Hebrew in which this record was written, It's in its plural form. So it's talking about multitudes. And it went on to describe like the stars of the sky, the sand of the seashore, multitudes, nations will come from you. Lineage, the line, the progeny of Abraham would reach multitudes in size. Now we also know of the totality of scripture that that word seed not only identifies progeny by lineage but children by faith Abraham had children by progeny by offspring by human reproduction he also has children by faith I want you to see this We find it recorded in the New Testament in the book of Galatians, chapter 3. 
in which the Apostle Paul uses the record that began with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and describes how God is using it. Galatians chapter 3 verses 6 through 9. Even as Abraham believed God and it was reckoned unto him for righteousness, know therefore that they that are of faith, the same are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. So then, they that are of faith are blessed with the faithful Abraham. Abraham not only had multitudes of children by natural progeny, he has multitudes of children who, like Abraham, have believed God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Multitudes from every nation. God made an oath to Abraham. He kept his oath. Further in this same passage, we see the word seed repeated for us. That's verse number 18. He says, and furthermore, in your seed will all of the nations of the earth be blessed. This is singular. In the Hebrew writings, it carries the singular form in usage. This reminds us and takes us back to what I mentioned a few moments ago. In the Garden of Eden, when God promised Adam and Eve that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent. They thought that seed was Abel. And then Cain killed him. God provided for them another son, Seth. And through the line of Seth came Enoch. And through Enoch came Noah. And after Noah came Shem. After Shem came Abraham. After Abraham came Isaac. After Isaac came Jacob. After Jacob came Judah. And you follow the line of Judah, you come to David. From David you see Solomon. And you follow the line even further and you come down to the end of the seed, the line that would produce the champion who would crush the head of the serpent, and you follow that line, you ultimately come to Jesus. When God promised the champion to Adam and Eve, He promised to them Jesus, who would come through the seed, the line, the one line of the woman, Has that line blessed all the nations of the earth? If you look even just at David and Solomon, they blessed multitudes of nations 
as kings of Israel? Such glory and majesty as they had as they reigned and they reigned in righteousness? But still not quite the Garden of Eden. Still not quite what God had created initially at the start. Good, fulfilling the promise, but not quite perfection until Jesus came. You see, when God created Adam and Eve, He created them how? In His own image. They bore the image of God. They stood before God in righteousness. And they lived in the Garden of Eden. We don't know how many years, it doesn't tell us, but they lived for some time in the Garden of Eden righteously, as God designed them to live until they sinned. How would God get us back to the Garden of Eden? He had to have a line. He had to have a way by which he could produce seed, the seed, Christ, in human flesh, to once again bear the image of God, to once again bring the presence of God back to earth, so that he could restore his plan and fulfill his purpose Jesus did that we find in the Lord Jesus himself first of all we find that he brought and displayed the presence of God the glory of God it says John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 in the beginning In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And not anything was made that was made, but by the Word. And then you read down a few verses until you come to verse number 14, and we find out the person of the Word. Because it says to us, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. You see, God's plan came to its completion in Jesus Christ. He was now the God-man. He was now the man bearing the true image of God. In himself. God in the flesh. Two natures. One person. We find recorded for us. In Galatians. Excuse me. Colossians. A description. Further of the Lord Jesus. Not only of his glory. But also of this image. We read in Colossians chapter 1, verse number 15, it describes the Lord Jesus this way, that he is the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God. Further over in Colossians chapter 2, verse number 9, we read this, that in him, in Christ, 
dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Then we read further in Hebrews chapter 1 a further description and expansion of this man, Jesus. God, starting in verse number 1 of Hebrews 1, it says, God having of old times spoken unto the fathers and the prophets by diverse portions and in diverse manners, hath at the end of these days spoken unto us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Here we go. Who being the effulgence of his glory and the very image of his substance, who upholds all things by the word of his power, when he had made purification for sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. When God began his plan of redemption and restoration, by selecting Abraham out of her localities, he planned to reveal his nature. God is a God of grace, unmerited favor, shown to those without any ability to repay, and despite what they deserve, a God of grace. He displayed himself as a sovereign God in control of all things, even in charge of the birth of children, their sex, their skills, their abilities, their place in God's plan and purpose. A transcendent God, a God above creation, a unique God, only one. Not the God of gods, not the best of many, one God. He revealed in progress through scripture that through the seed of, of Abraham he would provide redemption for sinners. He would reconcile sinners back to God. He would restore his glory, his presence back to man and upon the earth and to all nations he would create his image back in man again that would go throughout all the earth he would replenish the earth his presence his image would go throughout all the earth towards the end of his life the Lord Jesus told his disciples I will leave you soon but I won't leave you comfortless I won't leave you as orphans I won't leave you without an advocate I will send I will pray the Father and he will send the Holy Spirit who will be with you and in you I will come again to you and then later, as he was reminding them again of the work of the Holy Spirit, he said, it is necessary for me to leave you, because if I don't leave, the Spirit of God won't come. But if I leave, he will come. And he will work in you those things necessary 
to remake you, to reform you, to restore you, to recreate back in you the image of God. He left. He departed into heaven. We read a few moments ago about he now sits at the right hand of the Father with all authority. And true to the promise, the Father gave to the Son the Spirit and the and the Son poured the Spirit out upon believers. We find that recorded in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. What happened on that day? The Spirit of God came down and dwelt in men, making them new creatures. Making them now back into the image of God. Now making it possible for people like you and like me to experience not only God's glory and His presence, but also to have that Spirit of God work in us to make us into the image of Christ. As part of the ministry of the Lord Jesus, before He left, He said, now I want you to take this to all the ends of the earth. You know what that's like. All the ends of the earth. Every nation. Make disciples of them. Teach them. Take my image. Take my presence. And build up in all of these nations communities of faith. Other believers who will believe like you. And you will form communities where I will come and reside and I will make my presence known there. We find it all finally attained perfection at the consummation. We see it now in process. We see it now in little glimpses. Imperfectly, but we, we see glimpses of what it could be. And we experience times of God's glorious presence in our lives individually and sometimes even in communities of faith and churches. But one day, we will see it in all of its glory. And we find that recorded in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And it describes for us a new Garden of Eden. The temple and the kingdom of God now coming down out of heaven is described as a new city. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven and is described for us there. And we can visualize it in our minds and kind of imagine it. And it says it comes down and resides upon a new heaven and a new earth. The Garden of Eden once again with the tree of life in the center lining the river that has its fruit every month it says and the nations the people of the nations come and they feast on those trees for the healings of the nations and it says for us that people from every tribe tongue and nation will worship the king in the new Jerusalem, in the new heaven, and the new earth. That's part of the oath that we have yet to see.
But God has fulfilled so many steps along the way that we can trust Him for that final one. Can't we? And trust assuredly knowing that that promise will come as well. In His time. A couple of implications and we'll close. What does that mean? What implications do all of these things have upon your life and my life? We must acknowledge that God has a plan and a purpose to restore and to redeem sinners like you and like me. And to make us back again to fulfill His original design when He first created the world and mankind. We must recognize as we understand that plan and as we contemplate and examine ourselves we need a savior we need someone who can do that for us because we have tried all our lives to do that and we have failed we can't do it I remember a friend of mine telling me once many years ago he said Tom the Christian life isn't difficult. It's impossible. And it is. You can't live perfection. You can't make yourself like Jesus. You can't make yourself glorious with the glory that God Himself has. You can't do that. You need a Savior. God provided one. He provided one. Jesus. The fulfillment of all of his promises. Jesus provides redemption. Jesus provides reconciliation. For those who will trust him. Who will become children of Abraham. Like faith. Trusting the gospel of Christ. Have you trusted him? As I have described these things over the last few moments, I could tell by looking at some of your eyes, yes, I'm part of that plan. I'm part of it. I'm one of those children of Abraham by faith. What if you can't say that? Hey, you could. Today could be the day when you trust Christ. Turn from your own self-righteousness that will do you no good. You can't be a little Jesus. You just can't. But He can be in you. And He will come in you and do in you what you can't do by yourself. You turn to Him in faith and trust. And say, Jesus, I trust you. I look to you to be in me that which you came to be in me my Savior and to work in me by your Holy Spirit that which only you can do now here's another grand promise Jesus said everyone who comes to me I will not turn aside if you come to him today and call upon him he will answer as he promised I pray that the Spirit of God will come to you today. And on the one hand, 
reinvigorate you, revive you, encourage you as to what you have in Christ. I pray further that the Spirit of a God will come to you and bring to you saving faith if you have yet to trust Him. Let's close with prayer. Father, thank you for your wondrous promise that you made back in the garden which you reaffirmed throughout centuries which you fulfilled in Christ and which you have made available to people like us. Thank you for your grace, your mercy. Thank you for Jesus. Father, I ask, and Lord Jesus, I ask, that together with the Father, you will send forth your Spirit to, on the one hand, revive believers who trust you, but bring into experience the redemption that you have purchased for others who have, as of today, not yet trusted you. And we will give to you honor, glory, and praise, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.